maybe the normal time span, like that was long ago for me, but, uh, and I'm on my last one now, but this, this parable, like we, everybody always talks about it being about feeding people and it is, but there also is this test in here that we all need to think about. In the story, there's, there's some characters. Like, I don't want to set the story up to think about it. We have Jesus. Okay, I'm not even going to tell you anything more about that. We all know that one. We have Philip. Philip, he's Mr. Practical. How many people, is there Mr. any Mr. Practicals in this room? Really? Come on. Okay, yeah. He was Mr. Practical. Some people even thought that maybe he was like kind of like the manager of the disciples. Like, he was the one that would like take care of all the logistics. He'd figure out where they're going. He'd make sure they have enough food or whatever. And he also, in this, for this story, he was local to this area. Then we have Andrew. He was a fisherman, which a lot of the disciples were. He was kind of like, like the problem solver. And uh, he was kind of known as sometimes as a guy that has a little bit of doubt. And uh, we kind of will get a little glimpse of that in a little bit. And then we have this child. The child is, goes nameless. He's almost the key to this whole miracle, and he goes nameless. I'm going to just call him Brielle for today. But uh, there's this child, and what does he have in his hands? He has five loaves and two fish. And finally, we have the crowd. I'm not even going to use my notes. We're going to go with it without it. Um, We have the crowd. This crowd is made up of everybody. This crowd is maybe like this room here. We have some people that have been in church their whole entire life. We have some people this might be the first time they've donned the door of a church. We have everything. I think this crowd, it had a lot of people that were excited about Jesus. It says said how that they had seen the miraculous things he's done, and they just came, and they followed. He had been way far away, mourning death, and these people, he looked off in the distance to see them walking towards him. These people knew something was different about this guy and uh, wanted to know more. So let's read this story right now. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards them, he said to Philip, now Philip was Mr. Practical, what shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Or where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, I think about this like uh, he asked him this as a test, even though God already knew what he'd do. Um, try to put yourself in the, in the feet of the disciples. What were these disciples? What were they doing? A lot of them were fishermen, right? God called them. The one interesting thing about Philip here is he was the only one that was called directly by Jesus. He went, or maybe not the only one. I know he was one of them. I should say that. That was directly called by Jesus. Jesus went to him, asked him, said, come, follow me. And uh, why would he want to test these guys? that have already given up so much of their life to follow him, to go around without, maybe not even shoes on their feet, and there's still a time to test. But that test, it's not a test like I'm used to taking scantrons, bubbles, math, blah, blah, blah. This is a test more like an athlete. This is a test like, like when an athlete goes to a track meet or whatever. He's, he's been training. He's committed. He's following. These, these disciples for two years have been following Jesus around. They've been seeing him do amazing things. And this is kind of like the midterm exam. Two years in, he has two years left in his ministry. And this test is to see how they're going to react. God gives them a real-world problem. And this tests how they're going to react. So there's this 5,000 people. It's actually, we probably call it the feeding of the 15,000. Because that that says that it's 5,000 males. 
That doesn't include the women, doesn't include the children, and with the ratios in this valley, that might be 25,000 people that we had to feed. And uh, let's look, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Jesus is presenting, or there is a problem presented. There's 15,000 people that want to eat. They're following around this guy that has done miracles, healing people. People walk for the first time. People, like, you've seen the best thing ever. And look at Philip's response is, we can't afford it. There's not a store close enough. In one of the other Gospels, it really talks about, well, send them away. Let them go back to the closest town, get some food, and come back, and we'll deal with it. And Jesus kind of like, whoa. Like, we, let's take care of this. It would take more than a half year's wages. How many times has God called us to do something, and in the end, we answer either with finances or with our logic to get it done? God's logic does not work on world economics. It doesn't work on bank accounts. It doesn't work on time. It doesn't work on the, God can do anything. Do you guys believe that? I'm controlling my slides. So Then, okay, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, spoke up. This one's kind of funny because uh, I guess, well, let's continue reading it. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? So first, we have the first Mr. Practical. He instantly says, we don't have money, we don't have time, they're too far away, blah, blah, blah. We get to Andrew, and it's almost like he has this, you see this little bit of faith. I think we've all been to that point where we're like, oh, I think God could do it, but I'm going to have a backup plan. And he says, okay, well, I look at the little kid down here. He's got bread and fish. But then he follows that up by saying, but how far will those go? How many times have we shortchanged God into stopping at what we think is possible? I mean, I don't know how many people are in this room, probably 120 people, whatever. If I had five barley loaves and two fish, you guys are all leaving hungry. I mean, it's a fact of life. But with God, we could all leave full. And we're going to get more into that part right here. Jesus said, have the people sit down. So it's kind of like he presented the test. They both failed. They both, maybe, maybe we'll give uh, Philip the F and Andrew the D. But, uh, but you notice Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't get mad at them. He just mainly just says, everybody sit down. I got this taken. I got it taken care of. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I love that, as much as they wanted. Let's think about the disciples. They've been following the guy around for years, and they weren't able to bring anything with them. They were just told to go. Do you think that they had many full meals? Probably not. These 5,000 people, they, they saw this amazing man. They followed him. Do you think they ran home to get their food? Because they weren't following Jesus on Twitter. They, 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 had to, they saw the guy, and they had to go. They had to follow. These people probably themselves didn't have a meal, hadn't had many meals. Or if they did, they might find something small. But Jesus, not only did he feed these 5,000 people, which they probably would have been happy. Like, man, if he turned those five things into, like, even a morsel for everybody, I bet you there still would have been a party. Like, oh, we got something. We got a crouton. It's awesome. But no, what does Jesus do? Jesus gives them as much as they wanted. Like, that's amazing to me because 
starting. No. But how far... Yeah, we're not from there. Awesome. (laughs) When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So not only did he take everybody to Golden Corral, let them get as much food as they wanted, but at the end of the day, what were there? There were 12 baskets of leftovers. How many people in here like leftovers? I shouldn't put my hand up. We eat them, but uh, leftovers. God is a God of leftovers. I firmly believe that too. God likes to multiply things. God likes to give you so much and sometimes even more than you can even fathom. Like when it comes to this, yeah, remember they might have been happy with a morsel. They might have been happy with a full tummy. But not only that, he gives 12 baskets of leftovers with the pieces of five barley. From those two little things, we end up with 12 baskets of leftovers. Now those leftovers, who were those for? Anybody? Disciples. These disciples that talked about, most likely they followed Jesus around and they probably each had like a, a man bag. I don't even know what we want to call it. But immerse. Thank you. You have one? Okay. So they have, they have their little merce, like Frank's, little Louis Vuitton merce. And, uh, and Jesus, like, he tells them, go gather up this and put the extras in your bag. What is he doing? He not only fed the people, he now is proving that he has provision for his disciples going forward. Their party isn't over. Jesus isn't done yet. This is halfway point. This is the midterm exam. This is, like, you're on, like, the party's not over. This shows God's abundance and God's grace and God's, he doesn't want to just give us enough. And no, I'm not trying to preach prosperity theology. If we're good Christians, we're all going to be rich. We're all going to be living in the wine country. No, what I'm trying to tell you is God doesn't just love us enough. God loves us full throttle. God loves us like, I don't know, my wife and I I waste way too much time watching reality TV shows. And most of them are about fixing up cars. Yes, thank you. And fixing up houses. That costs money, too. And uh, how much we all love these stories. We all love these, uh, like, these dirty, nasty things that turn into something beautiful. And that's what's going on here. God's taken us, these dirty, nasty, horrible, fallen people, and he is giving us abundance to make us something that we can't even fathom yet. And that should get us excited. The best is yet to come. After the people saw the signs Jesus was performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is kind of like Jesus had done all these miracles. And like it's, it, I, I was thinking about all the miracles. And when you read through the beginning parts of the gospel leading up to this, a lot of those miracles are like one-off kind of miracles. It's like, okay, we have a blind guy. We have a lame guy. We have this. This one is a miracle that thousands of people got to experience. Like I would, I, I would give anything to be there and be able to see these endless loaves. Like it's just, I, I, I could just picture Jesus sitting there, or the disciples sitting there, like they're reaching into their purse, and they keep on looking down, and it's still there. Is that, like, that? Do we sometimes feel like the purse that we're carrying that Jesus has filled up that where that it's empty? Do we forget that God is constantly filling it up? God is also constantly taking care of us. God cared most about our eternal state. God cared most about what we're going to get in heaven, but God also cares about us on earth. But when we think about the story, 
this story wouldn't be a story if the boy didn't give the fish and the loaves. He could have, like, at that time, that, those fish and loaves, that could, that's most likely could have been enough to feed a family. And if that little boy would have taken that and ran it away, the story is not a miracle anymore. This is about a person that holds their stuff so tight and doesn't let God do things to them. Are any of us like that? Whatever it takes brings something to God. So we're talking about scarcity. We all like to hold our fish and our loaves so closely. But whatever it takes brings something to God. Whatever you bring, God will multiply. Whatever you bring, God will multiply. This might be your time. This might be your treasure. This might be your talents. This very well could be your tithe. Whatever you, whatever it takes, bring something to God. Whatever you bring, God will multiply. Do you guys believe that? Can God multiply anything? Yeah. Whatever God has multiplied, he will use for the kingdom. God's not multiplying it because he's a magician. God's not multiplying it so we can feel good about ourselves. God's multiplying things and using us for the kingdom of God. One thing I love about God, too, though, is that was a bad transition. God doesn't forget your obedience. Many of us have taken sacrifices, and God sees those and loves those. Last weekend, I was at a conference up in L.A., and I I got to hear one of my favorite pastors, other than Carrie, uh, preach. (laughs) And he had this story. This guy was a a fraternity brother. He was like the head of the fraternity. He even said it, and it was funny. He says that uh, the only prayers he said were that uh, people weren't have babies inside of them. He was saying that he was the best drinker in the fraternity. He was the, the guy leading the charge in the sports. He was doing everything. And their fraternity got in huge trouble. And uh, the head of all the fraternities comes over to him, and they're about ready to get him shut down. And uh, they're, like, there's this meeting with all the fraternity brothers, and they say, um, well, what are you going to do about it? Now, this pastor grew up in a Christian house, or not this pastor, this, this guy. I just gave away my story. Dang it. Um, he grew up in a Christian house, and the only thing that comes to his mind at that moment was, we're going to start a Bible study. It's like, what? I mean, like, we're planning our party for Friday night, and he says, we're going we're gonna to plan a Bible study. And like, he says it, and the guys are kind of like, okay. The next day, he's going to class, and the, this is the day of the Bible study. He's walking to class, and he's thinking, we're doing a Bible study. Like, I don't even know the Bible. In fact, I don't even own a Bible. So this is the head honcho at the fraternity. He says he's going to do a Bible study. He doesn't even have one. He's going to class, and he's sitting in class. He's thinking, okay, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's like, I got to do a Bible study right when I get out of class. I don't own a Bible. What does God do? What happens? That class lets out. He's walking out of class. Opens the door. Who's there? Anybody have a clue? Gideon's Bibles. <laughs> Literally, he walks to class, worries about having a Bible, walks out of class, and Gideon's is there handing out little Bibles. It's like, okay. And the funny thing is he's walking back holding this Bible. And he's like, man, I didn't even pray for this. I don't even know what's going on. He's like, but I think I might have thought it. 
But that is awesome. That is God. Cool part about this, this is Craig Rochelle, LifeChurch.tv in Oklahoma. Right now, the biggest church in America. Not, close between seventy and 90,000 people every Sunday visit his church. Lots of campuses. He actually, to this day, right now, as of this last week, had given away 290 million Bibles. And many of you guys have it. version Bible on your phone was started by this man who in college threw out an idea of a Bible study. And isn't God good that when those, those fish and those loaves were brought, that God turned that one Bible that he brought after class into 290 million Bibles? Aren't you guys excited? Come on. <laughs> that is just God. That is God taking whatever we bring. Whatever it takes, bring something to God. He brought a little bit of faith and a little bit of something to God, and look what God did with it. I firmly believe that I, I don't think Craig Rochelle might even be a pastor today or might not have, you version wouldn't have started, if he didn't experience God's love, even when he is not even following God at the time, to produce a Bible when he needed it. Days after that Bible was given to him by the Gideons, he, first of all, it took him a while to figure out that Genesis wasn't there because he told everybody to open up to the first page and start reading. He was in Matthew. They were in Genesis, whatever. But he took that Gideon Bible, went out on a baseball field, and he just said, God, I get it. And right then and there, he gave his life to Christ. Look what he's done today. But is it him? Has he done anything? No. He brought something to God. He multiplied it. And the best is yet to come. Now, when I think about this, you can think about the Craig Rochelle story. We can talk about the, the feeding of the 5,000, 15,000, whatever we want to call it. There's obedience and there's generosity. Was, God, was, was, Jesus being, was Jesus being generous when he fed all these people? I firmly believe he was. But I think, and were these were the disciples or even the kid, was he being generous? I think the child was being obedient. And I think obedience can turn into generosity. I was uh, talking with my wife last night, and one of the things I often say and is that someday I want to be more generous than my father. Yeah. That is, I mean, this might be the part where I cry too, you never know. But someday I want to be more generous than my father. And I, I actually, last night I scratched that off my list. Nah, over it. It's not because I don't think I can be. It's because I think that's wrong. I think I need to be more obedient than my father. Because if I'm more obedient more generosity is going to flow out of it too. Generosity, if I say, I'm going to be more generous, I'm going to be more generous, what is, what is, what's the word I keep on saying? I, 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 I. No, no, no. Obedience is to God. And through that, we can become generous. I don't even, not even looking at my notes. Awesome. So, do we want to be, like, I mean, I love the, the title, Courageous Generosity, and I'm not saying that Carrie should change that. I'm not fighting him on it, but, I don't think courageous generosity can happen without bold obedience. We need to be boldly obedient in all that we do, and courageous generosity will flow through it. Peter was told to put the nets on the other side of the boat, and then the nets became full. This is a non-fisherman telling a fisherman where to put his nets. That, I mean, that's obedience. David was watching his sheep... And a short time later, he took down Goliath. That, I love that story. It's like he was like the little ninny guy. Wow, 
combing sheep, braiding them, doing all that stuff. And then Jesus calls him to take down the biggest guy in town. That is just awesome. God calls him, and he did amazing things. That was obedience. That was bold obedience. Joshua walked around Jericho with a marching band, and the walls fell. Like my two, These two right here are learning. Uh, they're in band right now, and we have lots of squeaks and noises that come from upstairs. And I, I sometimes wonder, is God going to call me to walk around with my, uh, take my kids and walk around in our little marching band to do something crazy like that? And I firmly believe he's going to. I firmly hope it doesn't involve instruments and walking around the promenade mall. But uh, there are crazier things God can call you to than, oh, man, I need to hurry up. I just looked at the clock. Sorry, guys. Um, that might be as crazy as a band walking around walls. Jesus went to the cross in bold obedience, and all of us have a reason to sit here today. The best is yet to come. Obedience usually triggers opposition. When you're obeying, is there sometimes the enemy attacking you? I had a great time with Joe this week. We were talking on the phone, and Joe's ministry between helping with the young adults and helping with the youth is God is blessing that ministry. We need to get behind him. But Joe is being... There's attack happening in Joe's life so much, and that's because of his bold obedience. And I think that's triggering opposition. In Acts 5, and I'm going to try to do it fast now, this is uh, the, all the disciples. This is after Jesus already ascended. We're in the New Testament now. Jesus and the, all the, the disciples are out there, and they're preaching. Then the high priest and all of the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. If you're not ready to face opposition, you might not be ready to be used by God. Obedience often unleashes God's miracles. How many of you guys want to see a miracle? How many of you guys wonder why God isn't doing miracles through you? How many? We all do. And I, I sometimes wonder, I think that we pick and choose what places we want to be obedient and we wonder, God, I'm so good at this. I'm so good at this. Why aren't you using it? And there's places in our lives that we compartmentalize off that we don't want to deal with. Oh, God, don't go there with me. I'm doing so good over here. In Acts 5, 19 through 20, it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. First of all, I think there's a missing verse here that should have said, And the disciples screamed. Because, okay, I just got put in jail. I was out preaching. And now I'm in jail. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up, opens the door, and says, Come on, guys, let's go. That might have caused an issue in my pants. Uh, like, uh, like, go and stand. Okay, not only that, God takes him out of... I shouldn't have said that at church, my bad. Uh, go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. So this angel came down, let him out of jail, and not only that, he tells him, get out of here and go tell everybody about this. Go preach. Go back to what you were doing. So it did unleash a miracle. And just like the first one, there was opposition. They got put in jail. But obedience always requires faith. We don't want to raise hands here, but if any of you have been put in jail before, I doubt it, it's fine. (laughs) If I just got released from jail, I think the last place I'd want to be is in the exact space that put me back, put me there. But what Jesus calls them, and they go back. The next morning, they go back to the temple courts, and they start preaching and start preaching. People are getting... Like, especially even people in the church, they're getting so frustrated. The Sadducees, all these people, and that they're out there 
talking. They're out there talking about they're, what they are. They're scared that somebody else is going to be more powerful than them. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teachings and determined to, to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Let's read that one together, everybody. We must obey God rather than human beings. They're back there. God doesn't tell you the whole story. God calls you in little steps of faith, bold steps of faith, and he just might give you this much of the lens of what's going to happen. This bold obedience, this faith that they went there, God doesn't always give you the whole story. God does not give you all the details. If we're waiting for details, saying, I'm not hearing from God because I haven't heard all the details yet. I need to know how every possible outcome could be. That's not how God works. God wants our faith. We're called to obey, and he will figure out the outcome. He is in charge of all outcomes. The best is yet to come. Obedience usually triggers opposition. Obedience releases God's miracles. And obedience always requires faith. The same God that is calling you to bold obedience slash generosity will sustain you when you step out. Do you guys believe that? God called Peter out of the boat to walk on the water. And what happened? Peter started sinking, started having lack of faith. But who was there through the whole time? Jesus. God's not going to lead you. God's not going to call you. God's not going to put you in a situation that you're going to fail. You might feel like you're failing, but God, the same God that called you out, the same word that called you out, the same you were praying and God says, let's do this, and it starts failing in front of you, the same God's going to be there with you and get you through it. So this is where it starts getting a little personal. The best is yet to come. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Yeah, it's one of those verses. Last book of the Old Testament that we like to skip over. God calls us here, it says, Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Anybody? The church. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Test me in this. Now, this test, earlier we talked about a test, right? We talked that as an athletic test. That's a, I'm going to run a track meet test. That's a, let's see if your life is living out what you're you're training to do. This test is a little different. For Mike Bartell, I even um, went into the Greek or Hebrew or whatever it is and Buck on. I don't know what that means. That's for you, Mike. But uh, this word test here is not an athletic test. This test is the same test they do when they melt gold down to see how pure it is. This is the test where God tells you to test him. This is the only place in the Bible where God tells you to test him and see how good he is. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates. Do you guys believe that God might just want to bless you? Even financially, <gasps> oh, did he say that God might bless somebody financially? God might bless a marriage. The, the thing about this verse that I love is the fact that pe- some people get really bent out of shape about this verse. 
But I think they don't read the second verse too because this verse is awesome too. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before they are ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. Right there, God's asking you to test him and he's following that up with a verse that says, hey, test me and I'm going to take care of you. It might, be in a, it might be that your dishwasher might last longer. You ever thought about that? It might be a dishwasher. God can work through dishwashers. God can work through cars. God can work through so many things. And it might just be that he's protecting you because you're putting him first. He asks us to give, his, our, give our first fruits. Nobody likes hearing when we're talking about money in church, and that's why a lot of people leave the church. But like, this is an exciting part of the Bible for me because this is where God instantly tells us, do it, and awesome things may happen. Test me in this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd uh, putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This sermon isn't all about money. This sermon is about stepping out and letting God take care of it. This week, it sucks to be my dad, but this week I think the only reason he ended up in the hospital and we were sure he was dying was that God wanted to test me if I could put him and let him take care of it. Crap, I don't want to cry. Um, we're not all going to have to deal with death every week or sickness, but God wants to bless us if we're going to put him first. And um, this isn't me as the treasurer of the church I am. It's not a beg for money. And Carrie was just talking about the buildings over there. That's all in God's hands. We're paying our bills. We're not laid on bills. But I want you guys to experience what God has experienced. I've experienced with God, where you take that step out and he does miracles that only he can do. Faith doesn't make sense. It makes miracles. I started this message off talking about being on top of a cliff. And um, I think we're all on the cliff with our toes over the edge. And some of us are scared to jump. We come up with every excuse in the book to not do what God's calling us to do, to not put money in the offering, to not reach out to our neighbor. And we're just on the edge thinking that we got a better plan and the world's economics are better than his. I just encourage you that it's not. We have a video here that you might have seen and it came out this last week and like this guy has every excuse not to jump and he does it. We might not have that video and that's fine. <laughs> Long story short, oh, guy was an all-american diver he became partially paralyzed and diving is what he loved to do 
And over time, he started gaining back use of his limbs. And every year, and as I'll say on here, once a year, he goes up on top of that high dive and breaks every odd just because it's what he loves to do. How many of you guys love miracles? How many of you guys want to see God do something amazing? How many of us need to climb up this with every odd against us, stand there, and get ready to dive? Oftentimes when you're on the edge of that cliff too, it might take a little extra help to get your toes all the way to the edge. It might take people around you. This is why we're not supposed to do family and do church alone. Because there's times where we fall and we need our friends around us. Or, he missed my cue. But guys, the amazing part about it is when those toes are up there, when you're taking that risk, when God's calling you to do something, and it might be tithing for your first time, it might be talking to your family members that you haven't talked to in years, when God puts you there, calls you to do it, you can die. I just want to, if you didn't hear anything else I said today, I just want to tell you this, that God wants to do big things through you. Joshua 3, 5 says, Consecrate yourselves, for the Lord will do amazing things through you. God wants to do those things, and I ask us all to step out in faith and let God do it. Bring something, let him multiply it. And as we sing this song here, the, the offering baskets are going to come up, but I just, don't let, if God's calling one place in the Bible to test him, do it. See what he can do. There's so many amazing stories of amazing giving at this church and other places, and God has multiplied and done them. We had a TV that went out. And that Sunday, somebody already had determined how much money they were going to give that Sunday. And it was extra money that they'd made from selling a semi-truck. And it was the exact amount we needed to cover the TV. Do you think God planned that? That is God. Like, there is story after story. And I just want us, I want us to make those stories. Some of you guys might feel like you're, you're start thinking about the economics, the earthly economics. Is I can't do it. We offer financial peace. There's going to be one in January, and if you want to know more about it, you can talk to the Ashardis. Kimberly's in the back, or talk to Miner. I know he's went through it. Many of you guys have. But I just, let's not let the worldly economics hold us back from what God wants us to do. This church is growing. This church is changing. We have the best is yet to come with the youth. The older people in the church are awesome, and their best is yet to come as well. So let's do this. Let's sing this song together, guys.
Bible my mom gave me. She actually was going to throw it away, and I found it in the box. This Bible's from 1850. And I was reading, preparing this week, and I was going to try to read out of it, but I'm too old. My eyes don't work. But the words haven't changed since 1850. The words haven't changed for thousands of years. God hasn't changed. And he's challenging us to do something bold. I know the services went longer. I apologize. I only do this once a year, so I want to take every minute of your time. But we have one more chorus of a different song we want to sing real quick. And I just ask you to think about these words as we do it and see how God might be calling you to do something new. Thank you. 